Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, an exclusive interview embattled U.S. Senior Senator Bob Menendez speaking out in his first interview, saying he's innocent and still refuses to step down. If we get to a trial uh, that ultimately will show people in New Jersey what the truth really is. Also, standing with Israel, Representative Mikey Sherrill reaffirms her support for Israel and calls for more humanitarian aid for Palestinians, but wavers on a possible ceasefire. My number one consideration is how we ensure that Israel remains secure, but that we also ensure that we have a better outcome for the civilians in Palestine. Plus, avoiding police-involved shootings. The state is celebrating the expansion of the Arrive Together program. The jury is still out for some mental health advocates. We have been failing people. And so I do think that this program is a good first step. I think it's a step in the right direction, but I think that we could be doing more. And saying goodbye to a 60-year-old New Jersey landmark. The BL England smokestack comes crumbling down to make way for more modern wind farms. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association. And by the PSEG Foundation. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Thursday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. Senator Bob Menendez says he's innocent and he plans to prove it. In his first interview since being indicted on federal bribery and corruption charges, New Jersey's senior U.S. Senator defended himself against allegations he acted as a foreign agent for the Egyptian government, denied any wrongdoing in accusations that the hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash federal authorities found in his home were bribes and pledged to clear his name all while remaining in office. He spoke with our senior political correspondent, David Cruz, today for this week's episode of Chatbox in an exclusive interview. Let me ask the most obvious questions up front. Uh, the U.S. attorney says they found a half a million dollars in cash around the house, stuffed in some cases in the pockets uh, of your jackets and gold bars seemingly strewn about. I mean, I don't know many people who believe the explanation you gave about fears of having the cash uh, confiscated. How do you explain the gold bars, where they come from, and, and cash in pockets? Why not have this stuff in a safe, a safe for instance? Well, uh, let me say, Dave, that first of all, uh, the government uh, uh, presented this in the most salacious way possible, the most sensational way possible, in order to have the desired effect that uh, they have uh, temporarily achieved. You know, the reality is, is that we presented information to the government uh, on those issues and others. Uh, that clearly explains a, a different uh, rationale for its existence, which is something the government just simply decided not uh, to acknowledge and use. And so uh, while I can't get into every specific 
of uh, the charges that the government uh, has alleged uh, because uh, I need to be able to preserve that for my defense. Uh, you know, this, this is an example of how, in fact, we did give the government information uh, and how, in fact, they chose not to use it uh, and how I look forward uh, to both the process in motions and a trial, if we get to a trial, uh, that ultimately will show people in New Jersey what the truth really is. I mean, it just sounds frantic. Uh, why not put the cash in a safe, for instance, and the gold bars in a safe in the home if the point is to safeguard them? Well, again, I can't get into all the specifics, but as I've said, you know, I have drawn uh, from my personal credit union savings account for the better part of 30 years, uh, $400 every week in cash. Uh, and while that may seem old-fashioned, or some people may think of it as crazy, the reality is, is that the government has those records. Uh, they have uh, the accounts that show that, uh, and they chose not to use it. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is why I look forward to being in a position to actually speak to these issues so that New Jerseyans will have a different set of facts than the ones they have right now. All right. Your wife is a co-defendant in this. You have separate attorneys. Can you describe your relationship during the period that's uh, in this indictment? Were you partners in your political and other endeavors? We were husband and wife. We are husband and wife. Uh, I love her dearly. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we do what everybody else who is a husband and wife do together. And so that's the relationship that we've had uh, over the three years that we've been married. Uh, and uh, I look forward to a, a, a long relationship uh, with her. Because the suggestion is that you were working together. She was introducing you to your, the other co-defendants in this case. Did you know them before you met her? Uh, I knew some of them before her, and I, others I did not. Yeah. I know you want to talk about the other crises that are facing the world, but look, you're not uh, chair of foreign relations anymore. You had to sit out a briefing on the Israeli-Hamas war. Is it fair to say that uh, you've been sidelined by these legal issues that you're facing? Absolutely not. And let me correct one thing. I was not barred from going into an intelligence briefing. I still have all of my intelligence credentials. The reality is, after someone who has done foreign policy for 31 years, uh, that uh, and who knows intimately the U.S.-Israel relationship and the challenges that Israel faces, uh, and particularly in the horrific uh, actions of Hamas, I didn't need to go to an intelligence briefing to tell me what we need to do to stand by Israel and at the same time help uh, Palestinian people who are innocent and not part of Hamas. So I've often not gone to an intelligence briefing when I didn't think it was going to be of value because I often learn there what I already know in public and then I'm barred from speaking about it. Almost all the members of your party in the state here and uh, several of your colleagues in the Senate uh, have suggested that um, you resign. Uh, I have seen you beat the odds before, but uh, you've been in this business for a long time. Winning a primary, uh, even if these charges go away, is going to be near impossible. Don't you serve your party uh, and your state better by resigning now? No, uh, on the contrary. 
if I had taken the same course of action previously, then all the good work that I've done for Sandy Recovery, all the good work I did during the pandemic, the billions I bought to the state that Governor Murphy office spoke about was indispensable to the state at that period of time, uh, all of the work that I've done on lowering the cost of prescription drugs, and so much more would not have been accomplished. And so, you know, uh, as I said, that that would be the easy way out. Uh, as it relates to a primary, you know, uh, I trust the people of New Jersey. I've trusted them uh, for nearly 50 years, um, and they have never disappointed me, and uh, I'm going to work hard not to disappoint them. And you can see the full interview on Chatbox with David Cruz. The interview will be available starting tonight at 6 p.m. on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel or catch it this Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. on NJPBS. The international crisis between Israel and Hamas is spilling into communities across New Jersey as both pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian groups hold demonstrations and speak out about a rise in harassment and hate speech against each side. In North Jersey, tensions erupted after the city councils in Englewood and Teaneck approved resolutions standing in solidarity with Israel and Israeli victims, resulting in arrests and public meetings being shut down. The situation in the Middle East now being described as catastrophic. Israel's military says it carried out a targeted raid with tanks in the northern Gaza Strip overnight as, quote, part of preparations for the next stages of combat, following Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's indication that a ground invasion is imminent in response to the October 7th attacks by Hamas. Meanwhile, the main United Nations agency helping Palestinians trapped in the besieged city say they'll have to halt operations if fuel isn't delivered, calling it the end of a lifeline for civilians. Officials in Gaza say more than 7,000 people have been killed, upwards of 18,000 injured, the majority civilians, women and children. Pressure is building on the U.S. and the international community to get desperately needed aid into Gaza, and many countries are advocating for a ceasefire or humanitarian pause in the fighting. For more on that, I'm joined by New Jersey Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, who sits on the House Armed Services Committee. Congresswoman Cheryl, uh, good to see you. Thank you for joining me. The president has put forward a massive aid package for Congress to approve both for Israel and Ukraine. Uh, some of that money uh, is for humanitarian aid. Where do you stand on the package and the sheer amount uh, it is and the fact that uh, humanitarian aid has been slow to get into Gaza? Yeah, I think it's a really important package. Um, it has aid to Ukraine, to Israel, humanitarian aid to Gaza uh, with the humanitarian crisis there, as well as um, work on our own U.S. defense manufacturing base and our own munitions to keep the United States secure. The problem, you know, really remains the far-right extremists in the House who want to block um, among other things, aid to Ukraine. So do you see it getting hung up, uh, preventing from, prevented from being passed? Well, as we'll probably get into, we have a new speaker. And uh, he has been, up to this point, very, very aligned with the far-right extremists in his conference. So, for example, um, not voting 
to pay our debts, not voting to keep the government open. Um, in fact, voting against both of those things, voting against Ukrainian aid, and then pretty, pretty extreme in a way that's concerning to me on some of the social issues. I am really hopeful that now that he is in leadership, that the moment will be, you know, that he will understand this moment we are in in this country and what we have to do uh, to ensure that we are strong and resilient and supporting the values here in this country. Well, since you, you brought it up, let's stay on that for a moment. Um, what type of governing do you expect from Representative Johnson? You know, I am not sure what to expect. I am, I, I am very hopeful that we can come to a better place because I'll tell you, his history would lead one to expect a failure in governance. Um, and certainly what we've seen over the past uh, several weeks has been a complete failure of the GOP to be able to, to get to a point where they can govern. Their party is so divided and some members uh, who are incredibly extreme and out of step with the American people seem to have the lead in how they're moving forward. Well, the first action he took was to bring a resolution to the floor in support of Israel condemning Hamas. Last time we spoke with you, I know you said that you would not sign on uh, to a letter urging a ceasefire. Where do you stand on that now? You know, I think where we have to be as a country um, who is supporting the fight against Hamas is to be incredibly thoughtful about what that means and how best to move forward. Um, we, we have learned hard lessons about counterinsurgencies. We have learned hard lessons about fighting terror. And I, I think that we have to be very thoughtful about how we move forward, how we align with our democratic values, how we make sure we are um, protecting civilians, how we make sure we are getting humanitarian aid to civilians. And so to be clear, a, a more thoughtful approach, but you would not support a ceasefire at this point. So I'm Right now, I'm working hard with our allies on moving forward. Um, and. If there is a, a time when different legislation comes forward that I think will help in that effort, I will consider it. Um, I am, um, again, my number one consideration is how we ensure that Israel remains secure, but that we also ensure that we have a better outcome for the civilians in Palestine, or the Palestinian civilians. Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Well, the state is trying to shift how it responds to behavioral health crises in the wake of deadly police shootings with residents experiencing a mental health emergency. Attorney General Matt Platkin today held an event to take the pulse on a new state program being expanded. It's called Arrive Together, pairing law enforcement with a mental health professional on each and every 911 call. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. This was an hour and a half call right here. We were able to secure a cat. That's what she cared about. We wanted to make sure that cat was okay. Edison Police Sergeant Matt Miskowski smiled, describing a recent uh, Arrived you know, Together case with partner Beth Rodriguez, a mental health screener. They checked on an elderly woman who kept calling police, alarmed about imaginary burglars. Rodriguez diagnosed the problem. Beth was able to realize that there was some type of medical issue that needed to be taken care of. Um, you know, sometimes older folks, they don't take care of themselves or they mismanage their, their, their pills which in turn was causing the paranoia. I love going out into the community because you get to help people when they're 
at their lowest point. Arrived team members working in Middlesex County sat on a panel to assess how well the programs worked since it kicked off here last May. Together, they've defused domestic arguments, helped folks access mental health services, and arranged for follow-up care. Sat on the phone and was able to set the patient up with uh, outpatient services right there on the spot. So that, that's stuff that we never would have had access to before. Attorney General Matt Placken founded Arrive Together back in December 2021. Its main objective, to avoid violent outcomes when someone experiences an emotional crisis by pairing a plainclothes officer with a mental health expert. What Arrive really is is a recognition that we have asked law enforcement to do far too much and that no one person can be everything and do everything that's required in that moment of crisis. And the best news about Arrive is that it's working. So far, ARRIVE teams have logged 1,300 cases in 10 New Jersey counties. In Middlesex County, they've handled 58 responses without an arrest or an injury. Calls differ significantly from regular policing, says Highland Park's detective Brian O'Mara. We were there for an hour and a half, and, that, and that's a big thing. These calls are not uh, you know, 20 minutes in and out like we're used to in police work. Officers on ARRIVE teams express some surprise at how long the calls can take. That presents a hurdle for the smaller departments who'd like to join but just don't have the staff. It's really, do they have enough officers? Do we have enough, do we have the right type of screeners that will go out for it? Most of the towns really are clamoring for it. Advocacy groups point to police shootings that involved people in crisis. Najee Seabrooks in Patterson and Andrew Jerome Washington in Jersey City. They appreciate ARRIVE but want a community-oriented response that doesn't involve police. We have been failing people and so I do think that this program is a good first step. I think it's a step in the right direction, but I think that we could be doing more. I think we could be making larger investments in community-led based responses. The Brookings Institute back in March praised Arrive's record, no arrests in 98% of cases, no use of force in 97%, but it noted the statistics remain thin for a brand new program that's still expanding. And these are the most difficult calls that law enforcement has to respond to. And so nobody's spiking any footballs or saying, you know, mission accomplished. But what we are doing is saying, this alternative response is working, and we want more people to come on board. The attorney general says ARRIVE will be operational in all 21 New Jersey counties by December. In Piscataway, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. In our Spotlight on Business report, unrest within the labor industry continues ramping up, this time among thousands of commercial cleaning workers in New Jersey. Labor Union 32BJSEIU today had the ears of top state lawmakers as they push forward in contract negotiations for their members who clean more than 600 buildings throughout the Garden State. As Ted Goldberg reports, this is the first agreement to be negotiated in the tri-state area since the pandemic changed office building work culture. There's a lot of work that goes into keeping the Prudential Center clean. Workers like Ederl Vaughn are busy making their way to clean different areas. Security office, the loading dock, the dressing rooms, uh, bathrooms, I clean all offices. She's kept the rock clean for 16 years. Vaughn's union is negotiating a new contract with cleaning companies for the first time in four years. The union 32BJ represents more than 6,000 cleaners statewide. 
and they're asking for all of their employees to get retirement, since only some of them are eligible right now. It would be great because they'll be able to retire instead of depending on Social Security because Social Security don't pay you enough. We're not sure if we're going to get Social Security, so at least we have a retirement and they have a retirement to fall back on. Cleaners who are a part of 32BJ operate in more than 500 buildings across New Jersey. Other demands include keeping their same level of health care and a $20 minimum wage. The cost of living is going up and our pockets are not going up, so we need more money to pay for college. I have a daughter that's in college, so I need to continue to make sure, make more wages so she can further, you know, finish her school, I can be able to pay my rent, grocery, etc. The union spoke to local leaders today and filled them in on how negotiations are going. Because of you, air, airports were safer, buildings were safer, schools were cleaner and safer, and you did all of that important work each and every day, often when everybody else was being told to stay home. During the pandemic, we showed up each and every single day to work because we don't get to work from home. And that's something critical. We are essential workers. We reached out to some of those cleaning companies for comment and didn't hear back. There have been two days of bargaining, and Vaughn says there's ground to make up before the current contract ends on December 31st. They were like, uh, like a pushback. Like, you know, everything we asked for, they pushed back on. Like, they had their own plan. If we are not able to get to that agreement, our members are 100% perfectly willing, if we cannot get a fair agreement, to hit the bricks in January in the cold and go out on strike. We are ready to go on strike. It's, we're just ready. Can't take nothing for granted. In case there's no contract agreed upon by that date, the union has scheduled a strike authorization vote for December 13th. The Prudential Center is hosting a Devils game that night, and Devils games are just some of the events that could be affected by this union going on strike. In Newark, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. Meanwhile, another show of force. Hundreds of United Airlines flight attendants picketed today outside Newark Airport as part of a nationwide day of action as contract negotiations remain stalled. The demonstration comes on the heels of the airline's announcements of their third quarter revenue, which totaled nearly $15 billion. The union representing flight attendants argues those profits were made on the backs of workers who are fighting for better pay and contracted rules that determine flight schedules. In a statement, United Airlines today said there's good progress in our negotiations, with six sections of the contract already settled. 19 different airlines, 50,000 flight attendants across America, and we stand strong and we will stand until United Airlines flight attendants wins. There is a serious delay in contract negotiations and the labor movement, we are here standing together and making sure that the greed at corporate United Airlines is squashed. The power of labor unions on full display with the United Auto Workers, who last night tentatively struck a, a contract agreement with Ford Motor Company, one of the big three automakers that workers have been striking against for six weeks now. The deal is being called some of the biggest gains for union workers in years, including a 25 percent pay increase over the length of the four-and-a-half-year contract. 
If approved, it'll end the strike for Ford workers as other negotiations continue. And union workers at Lyndhurst-based Medieval Times landed a win recently after a federal judge dismissed a lawsuit Medieval Times brought against the union last year over a trademark dispute while workers fight for better pay amid alleged union busting drags on. On Wall Street, stocks struggled today under the pressure of weak big tech earnings. Here's how the markets closed. Support for the business report provided by the New Jersey Tourism Industry Association. NJTIA will host their New Jersey Conference on Tourism November 30th through December 1st at Resorts Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City. NJTIA.org for event information. Be sure to tune in this weekend to NJ Bisbee with Raven Santana. She looks at the health of the commercial real estate market as companies try to get workers back to the office. She also heads to Bellworks in Homedale to explore how the modern office is changing in New Jersey. Watch it on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel Saturday at 10 a.m. A more than 60-year-old Jersey Shore landmark is no more. The giant BL England smokestack that was a fixture for drivers heading down the parkway to Cape May or Ocean City was imploded today. The stack was the last major remaining piece of the old Beasley's Point power plant, which burned coal and oil for decades. It shut down in 2019. Well, a crowd of onlookers watched across the Great Egg Harbor Bay this morning as the 463-foot-tall stack tilted away from the water and came down in an instant, leaving nothing but a plume of smoke where it once stood. The demolition clears the way for part of the site to be used as a connection point for several of the state's planned offshore wind farms because the plant is already connected to the power grid and officials see it as a key location to power wind turbines. Two smaller structures on the site are all that remain, but they're slated to be demolished using ground equipment in the near future. And that's going to do it for us tonight. But be sure to tune in tomorrow night when I go one-on-one -on -one with Governor Phil Murphy. He talks his latest trip to Asia and its economic impact on the state, plus the upcoming election and what his office is doing to help New Jerseyans who are among the missing in Israel. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you here tomorrow. The members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey.